I want to welcome everyone at all our campuses and everyone tuning in. But before we dive into Acts, I want us to read a scripture out loud, one voice, all campuses, out of 1 John chapter 3. You'll see the, you'll see the, the, the scripture below me, um, and we're going to have Pastor Salone help us out with this. And so 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, I'm going to put this over here so you can see the scripture. Would you help us in reading this, church? And by the way, there's an exclamation point, so you need to exclaim it. All right, I want, you to, I want you to declare this truth out of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Read it. Let's read it in one voice. Let's read it powerfully today. It says this. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Pastor Salon, it's an amazing privilege to have you here with us. And would you do us the honor to be able to pray for us before we dive into the Would you pray for for the sermon? Our Father, we thank you this night to be with us. You are our Lord. You are all we need in our life. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your word. You gave to our friend to your son, he is going to preach your gospel. Give him the strength to share the gospel with everybody, and we will bless. They will bless all the church. Around the church will be blessed. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray you. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, as Pastor Salone and Pastor Brent are escorted off the, off the stage, can we show them some love and some honor today? The title of my message today is Sit or Stand. Sit or Stand. Now, before you choose uh, to do that, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, are you going to sit or are you going to stand? And then I just want you to really sit. Can you do that for me? Uh, how, many, how many of you love being the church? Amen. Like we get, to, we get to partner with what Pastor Stallone is doing in Haiti, and that just inspires me. I just love being the church. How many of you love being in church? Amen. It's about nine years ago where I was in church. And it wasn't a church like this one. In fact, it wasn't even a service like this one. It was, it was a funeral. And I've been to a lot of funerals in my life, but I'd never been to a funeral like this one. Um, I was a youth pastor for two years in southern Nova Scotia. Some of you are saying, well, wait a second, don't you live in Nova Scotia now? I actually started my ministry in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, so I'm back in Halifax, Nova Scotia now. Um, But when I was there, um, it just so happened the week that I went to this funeral, I was the only pastor around at the church. And of course, as you would know it, three people died. And so I had to be in charge of these funerals, and some of them I actually had to perform in, others of them I just had to go to, and I went to this one funeral that I'd never been to before, and I have yet to, to, to since go to another one like it. Um, and it has nothing to do with really what the funeral is like. I've been to hundreds of them. I just could not understand what was going on. 
It's because the funeral was all in French. Pastor Salon, I'm sorry, I don't speak French. I do speak a little Spanish, which is yo hablo un poco español. I do speak a little bit of Spanish. Pastor AJ's back there. He's from Colombia. He's just shaking his head. He's like, that's terrible, right? But I went to this funeral, and I went in, and I sat down. I sat down in this funeral, and so the service begins, and I have no idea what is going on. I don't understand what's happening. And then all of a sudden, like, some, like in services that we have, in funeral services too, all of a sudden, the entire crowd stood up. But I had no, I didn't understand that they were supposed to stand up. And so I'm, I'm sitting there kind of looking around, kind of watching, like, what am I supposed to do? And this woman looks down at me with a scowl, and is like, mm which is like the international sign for stand up. So I, I stand up to my feet. And of course, if you stand up in service, at some point you're going to have to do what? Sit down. Of course, everyone sits down. And, and of course, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand what's happening, right? And, and so finally, they all sit down. And, and then I just finally, okay, I got to sit down. And so this, this goes on for a few minutes. And, and I got sitting there thinking there. One time we were sitting, and I thought to myself, and I'm pretty clever. So... This is what I'm going to do. The next time I hear body shift, I'm going to be the first to stand on my feet. Now, we were sitting on these wooden benches, wooden pews, and it's really easy to hear people's body shift, if you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? And so, of course, a couple minutes later, I hear the shift happening, and all of a sudden, I just stand straight up, head straight up, and I just, I'm so excited to be the first one up, and all of a sudden, I realized that the shift of the body was not to stand, it was to kneel. <laughs> And the, and the priest, it was a Catholic church, looked down at me and he goes, <clears throat> which is the international sign for kneel down, you moron, you know? Uh, I've never been so embarrassed in my life. In fact, I, I, I came to a place in that service where I thought to myself, I'm not going to stand at all. I'm just going to sit in my seat. Embarrassment held me in my seat. Have you ever discovered that there are forces in your life that keeps you, keep you bound in your seat when you should be standing. There are forces in your life that, that keep you tethered in, that keep you pressed down in your seat. And just for the record, I'm not talking about external forces. I don't think anyone here is, has anybody behind them with a gun to their head saying, sit in your seat, sit in your seat, or has any blackmail over them. And if you do, we can, we can help you out. We know people that will be able to, to keep you safe in that. But I'm talking about internal forces. Aren't there things in our life that keep us bound in our seat? Are you with me on this? Fear keeps us in our seat. Uncertainty keeps us in our seat. Hopelessness Despair keeps us in our seat. And we've been dealing with these things over the last few weeks, a couple weeks ago. In fact, when we talked about what Paul was doing in Acts chapter 21, do you remember this? Where he's asked, God is taking him into the deep end. And when you approach the deep end, you deal with something called uncertainty. But one of the things we discover is that you're never alone in the deep end. So you don't need to worry about uncertainty. Last week, Pastor Brent gave us our rights. How many of you have been living in your rights this week? Amen? And one of the rights he said is that you have the right to freedom over fear. And so we talked about having freedom over fear last week. But what I want to talk to you about today is a chair that kind of props these things up. You see, fear and uncertainty and despair, they're really kind of like the cushion. And we're kind of dealing with the cushion. But what I want to deal with is I want to deal with the hard, rickety 
chair that is propping up fear, that is propping up uncertainty in our lives, I want to talk, I want to get to the root because I think this chair is the spawn of fear. It's the spawn of uncertainty. It's the root of these things. And so I want to dig a little bit deeper. Can I, can I do that? Now, before we jump in, let me just say something. I don't think there's a single person on planet earth that is immune to this chair. I don't believe that. And here's why. Jesus wasn't immune to this chair. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But every single person is level ground in history. Every single one of us have been captive to this chair. It is called the chair of rejection. See, in Acts chapter 22, Paul is bound to the chair of rejection. And I want to pick up where Pastor Brent uh, left off last week in Acts chapter 22. He finished in, in verse 29. I want to pick up in verse 30. And what we see is we see a shift from, from the Roman guard now taking Paul into a chamber. And I just want to read this to you. And I want to just set this scene for you to kind of, to kind of lay the, the groundwork for what this chair is all about. So look with me at Acts chapter 22, starting in verse 30. And I'm going to read into Acts chapter 23, verse 1. So follow along. You'll find the, the, the scripture on the screen below, below me. But this is what it says. This has been on the next day. Wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, this is the Roman centurion, remember, he released him and ordered the chief priest and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began and he said this, brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Now, I just want you to have this picture in your head for just a moment. We're, we're not talking about Romans, the Romans here. We are talking about Paul now sitting before the Jews. Last week, what we discovered about Paul is that Paul was a citizen of Rome. But this week, he is a, his heritage is with the Jews. You see, he grew up a Jew. He, stuttered, he studied under Jewish systems. This, Paul has history with the Jewish people. In fact, in Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 5, he's telling the church of Philippi about his history with the Jews. And this is what he writes. I actually want to read it to you. He says this. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest, strictest obedience to the Jewish law. So now Paul is saying, not only am I, am I a Jew or I used to be one, but I would dare say he's still attached to them. Yes, he is an apostle of Jesus. Yes, he is a citizen of heaven now. But as we've been tracking through the book of Acts, I don't know if you've seen this, but there is a pattern to Paul's ministry. Everywhere he goes, he always goes to the Jews first to preach the gospel, and then he goes to the Gentiles. And so there's a part of him that says, I'm, these are still my People. In fact, as we look at this passage today, not just one time, but three times, Paul will address this council in front of him with the term brothers. This is his own people. And I want you to get this picture in your head. I want you to picture these people for just a moment. His own people. And then I want you to picture this. 
his own people against him. We're not dealing with riots today. And Paul's been through five of them. You can go ahead and count them. He's not dealing with the Romans and he's not dealing with the whipping post and the cat of nine tails like he was last week. This week is a different form of opposition. It is a different form of oppression. Often one we cannot see, but it is very real. It is rejection. And I would dare say that rejection is just as powerful as the, as the cat of nine tails and, and riots. That there is power in rejection. And it's not necessarily external, but that it's eternal. But where does rejection get its power from? Rejection, listen, rejection gets its power from proximity. It gets its power from proximity. How many of you know that rejection is most painful from those who are most close to you? I think it was the band Rascal Flats that once sang a song. They said, what hurts the most is being so close, having so much to say, but then watching you walk away. That's exactly what rejection is. There is power in rejection. It is, it is Joseph being thrown in a pit by his own brothers. It's David getting a spear thrown at him by his own king. It's Jesus being kissed on the cheek by his own disciple. Maybe for you, it's that lie that was told to you by your own spouse. It's that promotion that went to your coworker when you knew you deserved it, given out by your own Boss, maybe it's a person in authority that does not turn out the way that he or she says they are. Sometimes it's not even a person. Sometimes it's a group of people. It's that sports team in fifth grade that cut you because you weren't good enough. It's that group of friends that you used to hang with and they no longer hang with you. Some of you are struggling today with the fact that Jesus is transforming your life and because he's transforming your life, you have to go back to a group of people who are rejecting you. They are saying to you things like, oh, you really believe in those fairy tales? And it's hard. Some of us, our rejection is from a church that we once went to when we grew up. Do you know that rejection often comes in the guise of a religious spirit? And it breaks my heart. I hear people all the time sharing about their story as they grew up, about the church rejecting them. But how many of you believe and know that when King Jesus rules and reigns in his church, this is a place to be received, not rejected? Rejection is powerful, and it's powerful because of proximity. It's not just what is said and done to you. It's the fact that they said and did it to you. Right? I mean, it would be one thing if my enemy said that to me. I expect that. But, but, but you? How could you say that? You see, rejection is an adversarial spirit. What I mean by that is that an adversary is not like your enemy. An enemy is on the other side of the battlefield, but when we talk about an adversary, an adversary is someone who is already in your camp. This is what David's talking about in Psalm 55, 12. This is what he says. He says, is it not an enemy who taunts me? I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me I could have hidden from them, but instead... It is you, my equal, 
my companion, my close friend, listen to me. This seat is not going to lead, it's not as blood and bloody and gory as a whipping post. Rejection is not going to tear your skin off. It's not going to tear your skin to shreds. But if you sit here long enough, it will tear your soul to shreds. And what I want to do for you today is I just want to take a few minutes and I want to talk to you about how to deal with deceit. And I want to tell you how to overcome not only deceit, but the spirit that is behind it. Because one of the things I know to be true is that the enemy knows where we are weakest and most vulnerable. You see, he's not going to get some of us by external forces. I don't think or believe that the Roman Empire is going to come and put their thumb underneath of us today. But I tell you one thing, there's a lot of people who are sitting in the seat of rejection and abandonment. And I want to, I want to help you. I want to give you some areas of your life to stand up. Because let me tell you something that I know to be true is that you don't have to stand. You don't have to sit here anymore. You can stand up. And I want to, I want to give you four areas of your life where you need to, to stand to overcome the seed of rejection. And can I just say this for a moment? You have a right to stand. And you need to stand in your rights as well. So this isn't just about standing up. It's about continuing to stand. So I want to give you four areas that you need to stand in order to overcome the seed of rejection. Here's the first one. Stand up in your mind. Stand up in your mind. Oh, church, do you not know that most of these seats are in our minds? Do you understand that? That a lot of the panels that we have are not actual people that Paul is sitting in front of, but we have panels in our minds. And the enemy loves to just feed those panels, and you maybe see them right now in your mind's eye, and and, and the enemy loves to just feed just words of rejection. You're not good enough. You, you, you were a mistake. You're a reject. You aren't worth very much. And you know, one of the things I've discovered is that com- people who are continuing to be locked up in this seat are continuing to be locked up in their mind. And if you want to change your position, if you want to change your life, then you need to change your mind. You need to step up in your mind first. And we see this actually in the passage in Acts chapter 23, verse 1. I want you just to to underline the first two words here as we look at this. Uh, This is what the scripture says. This is Paul now sitting in the seat of rejection. And this is what it says. It says, gazing intently, that's a key phrase, gazing intently at the high council, Paul begins and he says, brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Now, This is, I want you to just picture this. This is gazing intently. This is, the the phrase gazing intently doesn't necessarily mean like he's given them the stinky eye. Like, you know. The phrase gazing intently actually means to set your mind actively on something. So he's active in his mind as he's sitting here before this council. This is exactly what, what, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, when he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, be active in your mind. He goes on to say, your adversary, that's an interesting phrase, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He, and what he's saying is, have your mind ready. Be sober-minded. If you're not sober-minded, then you're drunk-minded. You're intoxicated. 
Your mind is under the influence. You know, one one of the things I've discovered is that a rejected mind is a mind that is under the influence. One of the major signs of rejection is that people are often under the influence of what others think of them. You see what rejection ultimately does? Is it is what it does is it it, it, it it makes you, it forces you to give your keys that will be freeing that will be your freedom, the keys to your freedom to someone else. That's ultimately what begins to happen. But hear me on this. A rejected mind it spends more time in the minds of others than in the mind of Christ. Let me say that again. A rejected mind spends more time in the minds of others than it does the mind of Christ. And when you start thinking like this, one of the things you will do is you will start making and seeking approval a part of your life. You see, this is one of the tactics of the enemy. It really is. To get you in a place, to corner you, to be in a place of constantly defending yourself, to constantly validate yourself, to constantly vindicate yourself so that you are the one trying to seek your own approval. This is the temptation that that Satan gives to Jesus in the desert. Do you remember that? Jesus is led out into the, into the wilderness to be tempted. Let me remind you that he has just walked from the waters of baptism where the father has just spoken on him and said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. God has spoken. He's decreed it upon him and he goes out into the wilderness. And what's the first temptation of the enemy? If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Validate yourself, Jesus. Ignore what the Father just told you. Validate yourself. You see, that's the tactic of the enemy is to bring you to a place where you are constantly trying to validate yourself. It's one of the signs of being in the chair. But I love Paul in this passage. I really do. Because when he sits here, one of the things that we discover is he's not trying to win the approval of the people in front of him. He's just not. Look what he says. He says, brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. Notice something. That's a statement with an exclamation point. He's just stating it. He doesn't ask a question. He doesn't say, well, guys, what do you think? Do you think that I lived a life of good conscience? No, he doesn't say that. He just makes a statement. You know, one of the signs of rejection also is that people continue to live as though their life is in question. And God has emphatically spoken a word over you that's not in question. You don't have to live with a question mark next to your life. You can live with an exclamation point. That's exactly why I had us read out of 1 John chapter 3 in one voice. Let me say it again. See how very much the Father loves you and calls us his children. That is what we are. Exclamation point. There's no questions there. So make the shift. Stand up in your mind. But here's the second thing. Stand up in authority. Stand up in authority. Look at verse 2. Now, the council doesn't like this very much. Um, And we're going to see this. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. Uh, This is my favorite part. I'm I'm sorry. This is just devious of me, but I love it. But Paul said to him, God will slap you. Everyone just go. Just look at the chair right now and say, you just got God slapped. 
He says, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. This is the high priest. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Verse 4 says this. Those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare to insult God's high priest? Now, verse 5 and 6, I just want, before I read this, understand something about this. I'm not certain that Paul's being sincere here. Many scholars believe he's being sarcastic. All right? So this, let me just, I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest. Paul replied, for the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your, your rulers. Now, some of you might struggle with that sarcasm, but who doesn't say that Christians can't be chippy sometimes? Our enemy's not polite. And doesn't Jesus tell us in the Gospels that he's given us authority to tread on scorpions and cobras? Does not Paul tell us in Romans, doesn't he say the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet? That doesn't sound too polite to me. And when you come up against rejection, hear me on this. There is an authority in Jesus Christ that you are not to sit in, but you are to stand in. And Paul just doesn't hold back, does he? He says, God will slap you. God's going to slap you. But I know we laugh at that, but look what he's doing. He's calling a higher authority, is he not? He's saying, hey, hey, you know what? I will invoke a higher authority. Listen to me. When you sit in this chair, you may be up against an adversary, but you also have an advocate. And when the adversary is speaking and whispering in your ear accusations that are untrue, there's an advocate sitting next to the right hand of God speaking and whispering in the, in the ear of the Father on your behalf. Right now, do you know that? The weight of rejection keeps you in that seat. But the king is advocating for you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Listen, when rejection tries to throw your past, when rejection tries to throw your sins in your face, or maybe it's someone else's sins, oftentimes it is, someone else's sin have put you in the chair and in the seat of rejection. And when it comes at you, when, they continue, when, when rejection and the voices say you deserve to be in the seat, you have an advocate. Listen, just look at him and tell him, I don't need to speak to you, go talk to my lawyer. And he has your defense because he is your defense. Hey, listen, let me give you something practical. If you ever find yourself in, a, in, a, in the seat of rejection, open up the scriptures and just start speaking them out loud. Your defense is right here. Do you know that's how Jesus comes back, the tempter? In the gospels, he just starts speaking the truth. Man, the adversary hates the truth. But you've been given a defense. So stand in your authority. Here's the third thing. Stand up in offense. Not offense, offense. Look at verse 6. It says this. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors. And I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. Now understand that there's a dispute going on between the Pharisees and the Sadducees over the resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 7. Underline this. This divided the council. 
The Pharisees against the Sadducees. Oh, how the tables have turned. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirit, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him. They shouted. Notice how rejection is now turning on itself. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, it is violent, just as violent, isn't it? As being beaten with a cat of nine tails. The commander was afraid that they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him by the fortress. Listen, you can go on the offense. Speak up. Speak out loud. Go on the offenses. Do you see in verse 6, the scene, uh, the, the scene just changes. The, the Pharisees are no longer holding the floor. Paul is. And not only is he holding the floor, he's controlling it. And I want to suggest to you that God not only gives you authority over rejection, he actually gives you leverage over it as well. Go on the offensive. In fact, Jesus talks about this to his disciples in the Gospels when he says to them, but when they arrest you, when they sit you down in this seat, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Listen, some of you are stuck here today, and what you've been taught is you've been taught by culture and your own instinct to try to defend yourself. What I'm telling you is stand up in your offense. Because listen to me. Let me tell you a secret about the seat of rejection. It's not as strong as it boasts. It looks threatening. Sounds threatening. But God has the power to dispel and confuse not just the enemy, but the adversary as well. Do you see that in the text? How, how rejection turns on itself. I love what Isaiah 54 says. No weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. Is that not rejection right there? Why, why does he say that? He's talking about weapons and then he talks about words and voices. He says, you will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These are the benefits that are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. In another translation, it is your inheritance. It is your inheritance that, that the weapons that the Satan wants to use against you, whether they are external or internal, whether they are actual cat of nine tails or they are words of rejection, they will not prevail against you. Look what it goes on to say. It says, there will be a vindication from the Lord that will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Uh, does anyone know what the word vindication means? What's the vindication of the Lord? I'll be honest with you. When I was growing up, I thought vindication was like a, like a, like a hard thing. Like I thought it meant evil. Like God was going to vindicate me. He was going to like choke me or something, right? Like that's what I thought vindication was. But actually when you discover what vindication is, you'll want more of the vindication of the Lord. We should celebrate the vindication of the Lord. Because God's vindication of you is actually a retaliation to the enemy. When it says that God vindicates his people, that word vindicate literally means proving that someone or something is right, reasonable, or justified. In other words, what it's saying is that the Lord himself is giving proof that you are right, that you are reasonable, that you are justified, that you are proved. Did you hear me? You are 
approves. Listen, someone needs to hear this. You need to stop sitting here trying to seek the approval because there's one that has already won your approval on your behalf. You've been vindicated. And it doesn't say that you vindicate yourself. God doesn't, God doesn't leave you to your own. He doesn't say work it up so that someday I'll check a, a box next to your name in heaven. That's not what he says. No, no, no. He doesn't say I'm going to send Pastor Seth or Pastor Brent to come vindicate you. He doesn't even send Paul to vindicate you. He doesn't, see, he doesn't even send all the armies of God to vindicate you. The Lord says I will vindicate you. I will do it myself. The king will do it himself. The vindication will come from me, church. That is good news. That's the gospel. That's your offense. The gospel is your leverage in the seat of rejection. You know, Paul is leveraging uh, this in this scene. But it's not in what he says. It's actually in the setting, in the place here. And I want you to see this because the Lord showed me this this past week as I was preparing for this. But he was using leverage that, that, in, that, in that place. And the leverage he uses, believe it or not, is the seat itself. He's using the seat of rejection as leverage against rejection. Some of you are saying, how in the world is he doing that? <laughs> as I was preparing this week, the Lord reminded me of something, that there's something very special about this seat that Paul was sitting in. You see, it wasn't too long before this scene in Acts chapter 23 that the same writer, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, writes in a gospel called Luke. In Luke chapter 22, he talks about this scene. And it says, before daybreak... They brought Jesus into the chamber. They brought him into the same chamber. They set him in the same seat. And then that day, they look at Jesus and they say, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you really the Messiah? And with a clear conscience, Jesus says, you will look into heaven and you will see me sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus was sitting in the same seat. But he allowed rejection to come. He took it on. He could vindicate himself, but he didn't. And what he did is he sat in the seat so that you and I wouldn't have to. You wouldn't have to. It could be overcome. Prophet Isaiah says he was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He sat there in front of his own people and they rejected him. He was acquainted with our deepest grief. We turned our backs on him. We rejected him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought it was his troubles were, were punishment for, for God, but a punishment. We thought it was a punishment for his own sins, but it was actually for ours. 
Listen, you have leverage over this chair, with this chair. Because there's one that is greater than you that has already sat in it before you. And he let this seat become the death of him so it wouldn't become the death of you. Yeah, but, yeah, but I deserve this seat. You don't know my life. He already sat in the seat. Jesus sits in your seat. Yeah, but you, I've been married for 21 years. You don't understand the betrayal. Jesus sits in your seat. Yeah, but, yeah, but you realize, like, it's been an ongoing thing in my life. Rejection has been an ongoing thing. Some of us, it's not one rejection. It's, it's an ongoing pattern of our life. It's been going on all of my life, but Jesus has sat in your seat. He already has sat in your seat. Maybe some of you are tuning in and you're from countries right now and North America isn't allowing you into this region, into this area, and you feel rejected. Jesus is sitting in your seat. You can fill in the blank and Jesus already fills in the seat for you. Let me tell you something. There's not enough room for two people to sit in a seat. So why do you keep trying to sit in it when Jesus already has? So stand up. Stand up because Jesus has already sat there. Listen, remember, rejection has power in proximity. But there is one who is so close to you, closer than any person who's ever rejected you before, that has said, you know what? I will sit in your seat for you. Step up in your offense. The gospel is your offense. So what are you going to do? You're going to sit? You're going to stand. What keeps you from standing? I mean, really standing. Most of us, uh, if not all of us, is, you know, we, we, we don't spend the majority of our lives sitting in front of a panel of people who reject us. We, we, we're not actually in a seat, and we're not actually sitting there, but oh my word, how many of us, that panel is at the forefront of our minds. There's a loved one sitting over there. There's my boss sitting right there. My coach. Some of us, it's a version of God that doesn't exist. And the enemy is just using it to speak into a place and keeping you pressed down in the seat of rejection. As I was preparing this this week, I just really sensed the Lord was telling me as we, as we come to a close that for those of you who feel rejected, maybe it's a lifetime of rejection or maybe you felt rejected before you came to church. What I felt the Lord was saying to me is, I want to honor people who still f- feel pressed down by rejection today. There's a scripture, it's just been in my heart as I've been preparing for this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And maybe you're here today, and the Lord's pressing in, the Spirit's working in your life, and maybe, maybe, maybe it's that church that, that you grew up in, and, or maybe it's someone else in your life, a loved one, someone in close proximity, and I just want to tell you that you no longer have to live and sit in this seat, but I believe that, that in, right now, God wants to share his honor with you. He wants to raise you up in honor. That's my fourth 
my fourth area today. And, and I don't want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, most of you maybe have been writing down the points down. This is not one to write down. This is one to, to put into action. And this is the fourth one. Stand up in honor. Listen, there's more to come for you. Rejection doesn't have to define you. The Lord will continue to honor your life and the trajectory that he has for you. Look at verse 11. It says, the night, the, that night, after all this, this seed of rejection, it says, that night, the Lord appeared to Paul, probably in a prison cell, and he says, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. I just wonder, as God is honoring Paul in that moment, saying, I'm going to continue to use you. I'm going to continue to to, to just bring you to a place that I've called you. I wonder if there's anyone watching, anyone tuning in right now, anyone who who is even in our campuses right now that feel the weight of rejection. Listen, I want you today to stand in honor. I want you to stand in honor. We covered this a long time ago, but in Acts chapter 7, there's a picture of Stephen, and he's being stoned to death. He's in a pit of rejection. Nothing's more rejecting than that. He was actually in this courtroom. He was in this council room, and they found him guilty. They bring him into the street. They start stoning him, and the scripture says as they're stoning him, he, he, he looks into the sky, and he sees the sky part, and Jesus is standing up. And this is what many scholars believe is going on. That in in the most rejected part of Stephen's life, Jesus is standing there going. Showing him honor. But it's not, Stephen didn't just see Jesus standing. He also saw where Jesus was standing. Jesus was standing in the courtroom of God. And let me tell you something. The courtroom of your mind is not the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's not even in Ottawa. It's not even in Washington, D.C. But in Jesus Christ, the Supreme Court is in heaven. That's why the scripture says, the psalmist says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I want you to see that the courtroom of God, as it invades the kingdom, comes Grace fills his courtroom. The rules have changed. The laws have changed. And grace rules. Grace rules in this house today. Grace in your house, wherever you're tuning in from east. This is what I want to do. We're going to sing a song. And if you feel like God is wanting to just work in you and, and just kind of just put the seat down in your life. There's seats, in, there's seats up here up front. If you want to come, listen, come sit in the seat and deal with it. Deal with the panel that's in front of you. And I want you to stand up in honor today. Listen, don't leave here today still sitting down. Stand up in honor. The Lord wants to honor you today. I believe he does. Oh God, we thank you so much for the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. We thank you. That, Lord, you have not set us out on ourselves to try to approve ourselves, to try to vindicate ourselves, but the word of the Lord is true. That the vindication of the Lord is an inheritance to us by you. Lord, as we deal with this seat today, as we, as we deal with rejection, as we deal with this topic, it's a very personal one. And, and, and there's a sense, I believe, and I'm catching even, even right now, that 
in a, in, a, in a space like this, even in church sometimes, the, the thought of walking forward, rejection is wanting to speak to us right now and thinking, oh man, man, if I do that, what are people going to think of me? And we just speak against that now in Jesus' name. And we just say that, Lord, coming forward and dealing with the, the seat of rejection is actually a, a place of honor. And we just say that right now, that, that Lord, whatever, wherever we're at, whatever seat that we're in that is a seat of rejection, we just pray and we just believe that, God, you want to shower your, your honor. We want, you promised us that, your, our, that the glory that you had was ours and John. And Lord, I just, I just, I just, would you just free us up? Free us up from this seat in Jesus' name. We just ask that you would transform this place into the courtroom of God. Would just the atmosphere just be charged with grace in this moment? Charged in grace in the people who are watching from their homes. Lord, would you transform this place? Would you, would you continue to invade our lives and our space? And would you continue to transform us, Lord? Some of us need to stand up in our mind today. Some of us need to stand in authority. Some of us need to stand up in our offense We all need to stand in honor today. We have the right to it. So Lord, may we not sit. May we stand in Jesus Christ, I pray. And all of God's people said, amen.